I'm going to read um, 1 Peter 3, 8 through 22. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love your brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to those. Oh, I lost my spot. <laughs> to give an, to, um, who ask you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sin once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Well, all fall, we've been talking about this question of how do we live as elect exiles? Meaning, how do we live as God's chosen people who are now exiles in this world? How do we live with the fact that God has done something? He's done a miracle in us. He's given us new birth. He's brought us to faith. Uh, we're now his people. And because of that, we step into this world in very different ways. And what does it look like to actually walk through a very broken world, still as broken people ourselves, but how do we do that in a very unique and distinctive way? And for me, nowhere do I feel that question more radically than in this passage. And so there's, you know, as Sandy was reading that, I'm like, gosh, there's so much. I realize I'm not going to talk about a lot that's in this passage. It's a long passage. But I want to focus in on... on um, uh, verse 9, which really sets up the, the theme for the passage. 
and some radical teaching being offered here. Let me read to you verse 9 again. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called. So here's the context. What do we do when we encounter, there's two words he uses. The first word is evil. What do we do when we encounter evil? That word is used again in verse 13 there. In my translation, it's given the word harm. So we're talking about what do you do when someone is engaging you with an intent to harm you, okay? Um, Where their motives, their actions are towards your demise, towards your hurt, uh, towards your failure, maybe. And then the other word, evil, and the other word is insult. Uh, And an insult is simply to want to harm through words, right? It's to use your words to cut someone down, to belittle someone, um, to express judgment, to express curse on somebody. So here's the context of, of this passage. What do you do when you encounter people who are out to harm, who are out to speak against you? And I'll just tell you, in the first century, this was not a theoretical question, okay? So um, in, in next week's passage, we'll get this verse. Uh, this is chapter 4, verse 4. Uh, they, the, the, the world, the Gentiles out there, uh, they're surprised that you no longer join with them in their reckless, wild living. These people used to live recklessly, wildly. Uh, and what do they do now? They heap abuse on you. You used to be one of them. Now you live differently. They don't get it. And they insult you. They speak against you. They heap abuse on you. So I want you to consider right now, and you may not come up with something, but um, when was the last time where you encountered a specific instance where you felt like someone was, um, where you were personally insulted, okay? You were personally treated very uh, unfairly. Someone had an intent to harm you, and they expressed that through their words. Um, Maybe it was even for your faith, like the early Christians. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was for some other reason. But can you think of a specific uh, moment in the last year where you felt like, I know exactly what it feels like to encounter this? And I'm guessing as some of you can, and maybe some of you can't right, right away, think of something. Um, and so what you might think of if you can't think of a specific instance is, uh, is sort of the, just the generalized um, uh, feeling in the air these days. As, as our nation moves towards increased secularization, at least in the, these last couple decades, that Christians in general are now not held quite in the same regard uh, that they were, let's say, 100 years ago. And you feel that. You feel just the generalized uh, insults that Christians are beginning to bear, not as those on the moral high ground, but as those who people think are actually one of the problems in, in the country. And you see those insults, uh, maybe you see them written in tweets and posts and, and articles and things like that. So, so you might have something very specific that comes to mind, or you might just think generalized about what you're feeling is in the air these days. And what I'll just say is, um, there is nothing more unnatural to our human nature than to do what Peter's calling us to do in this passage. (laughs) When you're actually insulted, when you're criticized, when you're torn down verbally, there is nothing more natural than to want to defend yourself and to respond and to speak out in the same exact way. And so what we're going to find is today's teaching is truly radical And it truly distinguishes people who are just religious from really true kingdom people, Jesus people. And we're going to get into the teachings of Jesus himself this morning. So um, here's what I want to do. I want to just talk big picture today about what is this radical practice 
that Peter invites us into? And then what is the radical perspective that someone would need to have in order to actually be the kind of person who would do this kind of ridiculous thing? Because on the surface, it's just really bad advice. I mean, let's just say it. This is bad advice, and yet this is kingdom advice. And so what kind of perspective would I have to have to become this kind of person? All right, so let's just, um, there's nothing new here today. It's just it's pretty radical to try to actually get inside of what, what Peter's saying. So first, let's look at the practice that he's calling us into. It's pretty radical, and it's right there in verse 9, right? Don't um, repay evil with evil, insult or with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, okay? Over the people who are intent on harming you, speaking out against you, I want you to respond to those curses, those insults, with blessing. The Greek word is eulogeo, where we get eulogy. It just means good word. So over people who are pronouncing evil words on you, you respond by pronouncing good words over them. Chapter 2, we learned uh, in a couple places, he, t- he calls us, we are a holy priesthood in chapter 2. Remember that? Or a royal priesthood. We are to be God's priests in the world. All of us, not just people in full-time ministry. You've been called out by God, and you act as priests when people see you you're, you get to be kind of this mediator in a sense, a, a little glimpse of God to people who don't know God. And one of the great roles of priests is they pronounce blessings over people, right? Uh, every Sunday at the end of the service, I pronounce a benediction over you. Benediction, that also means good word, same, same idea. And so that's what priests get to do is they pronounce God's blessings over the people. So I thought I'd show you what, what many of you will know. This is the most famous priestly blessing in the Old Testament. This is the Aaronic blessing, the blessing of the, the high priest Aaron. We do it often. I'll, I'll send you off with this one today. Uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. This is a, a word pronounced over someone that is all for their good and their flourishing. To a person who is insulting you, you respond with blessing. What I want for you, O sinner who's insulting me, I want, ultimately, I want your flourishing. I want the God of the universe to bless you. I want you to experience his blessing. I want goodness for you, okay? This is the role of a priest. It's the exact opposite of an insult. Um, There's a pretty cool app um, these days called Bless Every Home. And and what it is, it it sounds creepy at first, but it's it's great. Uh, What it does, you can, it's called Bless Every Home. And every day it'll send you an email Uh, And it'll give you um, names of your neighbors. So it'll tell you, you know, the address of people around your blocks and the names of the people who live there. It's all public domain, domain, so it's not, there's nothing wrong about it. But um, it's actually a great way, if you just want to learn the names of your neighbors, uh, you can do that. So each, each day it'll give you like four or five houses with the names, and it'll offer a prayer that you could pray for them, right? Bless every home. And it's actually a pretty powerful experience to every once in a while just walk your street, Right? And just as you're walking by a house, um, and if you, especially if you know your neighbors, just to pronounce blessing over, over a house, right? Lord, would you, would you bless and keep this home? And you know the, the, the couple. You know, bless their marriage, Lord. May they flourish in their marriage. And I know their son and their daughters. And gosh, bless their schooling and their sports. And um, bless their work. And of course, the greatest blessing we want, we want, we want them to know you, Lord. And so would you make yourself known to them? It's a pretty powerful experience just to walk your street or your apartment complex or wherever you live, and as priests, pronouncing blessings, okay? Now, that's pretty easy to do. 
when you've got an app, and I've got great neighbors, so that would be an easy thing for me to do. Um, but here we're talking about when you're insulted, when harm is coming at you, to be able to respond with that kind of blessing. Uh, I was reading a commentary this, this week. I really appreciated this comment about words. Speech is a form of world formation, potent to include and exclude, to build up and to tear down. It's so true. We form words with our speech. And as Christians, we believe in a God who literally created the world through his speech. He spoke and worlds came into being. And as his image bears, we have the opportunity in our own small ways to, to, to bring worlds into, the, into reality through our speaking, right? And some of you, um, unfortunately, have experienced that in really harmful ways. Some of you, as children had words spoken over you that created a world for you, that shaped your world in ways, right, that, that continue to shape who you are. Insults, um, not curses necessarily, but maybe curses, but really hard words maybe by your parents or someone important to you spoken over you that shaped your world. And we're living in a moment, I would say in general, where we are creating some really toxic worlds through our, the ways we're speaking to each other in our country, in our world, um, whether that's actually out loud through our mouths, whether that's online through our tweets, through uh, social media, through articles, right? We, we're living in a time where our speech has, has become, um, it has, it's leaving something to be desired, I might say. And so what, what is being said here is we have the, the opportunity, and more so now than ever before, to, to try to play our own small part in reshaping a world through our speech, through pronouncing blessing where others are responding with curse. To act, all that to say, as priests, which is our role in this world, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our communities, even in our nation, in our church, of course. And so I, before I move on, uh, I want to actually look at some of Jesus' teaching on this, but I want to just stop and, and have you ask yourself the question, as I think about, as I consider my speech lately, again, verbal, online, however, whatever form of communication, what are you noticing? What kind of world are you creating? Are you, are you seeking to bless or are you seeking to tear down and insult? That's a really important question to ask uh, in this moment that we're living in and, and always an important question as Jesus followers. So I, I invite you to think about, okay, are, are there insults coming out of, out of me a lot? Um, what are, what are, what's the wake left behind in my writing and my, my speaking? And is it honoring to the Lord? Am I seeing this priestly role play out in how I communicate, interact with people in conversations? Peter says, repay evil with blessing. Why? Towards the end of verse 9, because to this you were called. This is what we're called to. And, of course, um, we're called to it by Jesus himself. This is, again, as with last week, this is just Sermon on the Mount 101 right here. Let me just read to you the most radical teaching I know of, probably in the Bible. It's right here. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. Really bad advice. Um, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. 
And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, this would be like a Roman soldier, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Okay, real familiar, so radical. And one of the aha moments for me in in hearing this teaching of Jesus, this was years ago, was to realize for years I thought Jesus was calling us into a sort of passivity, like a, hey, just take it, you know, and just walk away. And what's really interesting is actually what he's doing, and it's the same thing that Peter's doing, he's not calling us into kind of just refraining and just taking it. There's not a passivity. He's actually calling us into a very proactive stance, Saying, actually, do something. Don't just take it. Do something. Someone slaps you on the cheek. Don't just walk away. Turn to them the other cheek and say, hey, you want to slap this one too? Right? If they force you to go one mile, say, I'm going two miles with you. That is to say, do something that is utterly unexpected and surprising to this person that they cannot make sense of. It's not an invitation to passivity. It's this very proactive, radically countercultural kingdom way of living that makes a person go, what the heck makes that person tick? (laughs) That doesn't make any sense to me at all. And it can't just be an act. (laughs) It can't just be like a technique because he also says, pray for your enemies. (laughs) So not only do this thing that would catch them off guard, but you also got to pray for them and they're not going to see you do that. So your heart has to be in this. But he's inviting us into a very proactive posture towards evil in the world. Look what Peter does in verse 10. He quotes from Psalm 34. Um, Psalm 34, we're going to sing this psalm later. This is one of my favorite psalms in all of the Psalter. But let me start with the first couple of verses. Look at verse 10. For, quoting Psalm 34, whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. So notice it's that very proactive. He goes from just um, keeping your tongue and refraining from actually turning from evil, positively doing good, and he ends by saying seek peace and pursue it. That word pursue is a very strong word. Go after peace. I was listening to an interview this week where uh, they were talking about, again, the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, right? And the guy was saying, you know, Jesus didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. Um, I'm a really good peacekeeper, right? He's not saying blessed are those who just kind of toe the line and just make sure everyone's okay and don't. No, Jesus is talking about people who, who go into the world seeking to make peace, seeking to bring shalom, the shalom of God, into the context where they are. That's a very proactive uh, you know, stance. And th- the guy who was saying this, um, he's a guy who, um, after Michael Brown was shot and Ferguson had the protests and the riots and that, that town was you know, just pretty decimated and remains a really broken place, he moved his family there um, to try to become a peacemaker in a place that has experienced a lot of uh, friction and tension. So this is a guy who's, who's trying to live it out. But I thought, wow, peacemaking is, is very different than peacekeeping. And again, religious people are good at peacekeeping, but kingdom people, Peter is saying, the psalmist is saying, Jesus is saying, there's a proactiveness. There's kind of a, this doesn't make sense what these people are doing. This is pretty radical. Things that are really easy to teach on, really hard to live out. 
But this is what distinguishes Jesus' people. It's interesting. Jump down to verse 15. Um, probably the most famous verses in this uh, passage. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, this part. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Right? That's a very famous uh, verse. And we normally hear that just in general apologetic settings. Right? Be prepared. Do your research on the science. Do your research on the word of God. And, you know, just do a good apologetic. And, of course, that's very true. But in the context, Peter's not speaking just generally. He's speaking in terms of people who respond to insult with blessing, right? Who pursue peace when other people are, are coming at harm. A life that someone would go, what gives? Like, what is going on with this person? This doesn't make any sense of how I think about the world. That's why you would be prepared to give an account, because someone's going to ask you, what, what are you doing here? This, is, this looks and feels and tastes and smells very different than what I'm used to. And he says, so then be prepared. Verse 15, but do this with gentleness and respect. Um, two words that are so needed in today's world, right? Gentleness and respect. Gentleness, that's the word we saw last week. That was the word given to wives. Um, meekness, right? And respect. So yes, you, you speak into the reason that you're living such a different life and you do it gently and you do it respectfully, keeping a clean conscience so that these people might experience the gospel for themselves. Gentleness and respect. That's another, those are good words to just lay before our own lives right now and say, is that, as I look at my speaking, am I, am I, am I an example of gentleness and respect in the midst of the world we find ourselves in today. Okay, so pretty radical practice, yes? We all have heard it many times before, most of us at least. So let me um, turn now to the perspective. What would drive a person to ever live like that? Um, what, what kind of a person would do this kind of thing? Because as I mentioned, you know, and there's a lot I'm not talking about today. I get there's times to speak up all of that. Um, but this is a general posture that we're being invited into. So what would lead someone to be this kind of person? And the way I would sum it up in this chapter is this, two things. It would be people, um, first, who know that the eyes of the Lord are on them. And second, people who constantly fix their eyes on the Lord. Okay, That's the perspective that would yield this kind of life. Let me show you where I see it. First, we would be people who know that the eyes of the Lord are on them. I get that from Psalm 34. Look at verse 12. He just said, seek peace and pursue it. Why? Verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He's saying when, when, we, when we choose righteousness, when we bear up under injustice, under hate, under insults, when we don't respond with more hate, the Lord sees that. The Lord delights in that. The Lord's face is towards those who do that. And that is not the case with evildoers. Those who are intent on harm, on insult, the Lord's face is against those kinds of people. And the point of the psalm, as you read in the context, is, is God sees it all. And God knows how to set everything right in the end. Like, you might experience insult and all that sense of justice that is screaming in your heart that doesn't get 
solved in that moment where that person insulted you or didn't respond in kind, God sees it. God knows how to bring justice in the end. Okay? He will bring justice, so you don't have to. You're freed up. His face is towards those who seek peace. His face is against those who seek hate and insult. Okay? And that's one of the reasons then in this chapter that, or in, yeah, at the end of the chapter, he goes to the example of Jesus. Jesus is the prime example of God's face being towards the righteous, right? Look at verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Injustice, right? The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Look at verse 22. He has now gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. He presents Jesus as the righteous sufferer, the one who responded with love, who experienced injustice in this present world, but whom God vindicated, and now he sits at the, at the place of power and authority as our suffering Messiah King. Okay? And this is the pattern of Christian living throughout the New Testament. Suffer now for Jesus and be vindicated at the last day for all eternity to stand as God's chosen people reigning with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. That's the image because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And so we live every day recognizing that and that informs how we respond to mistreatment. So the eyes of the Lord are on me. I can live in the midst of all this stuff with this calm assurance, right? Last week we talked again, the wives, we talked about this word quiet. It meant serene, tranquil. And that's what Peter's inviting us into, this, this calm assurance. God sees it. I don't have to make all of this right right now. Um, he'll vindicate me in the end, okay? Eyes of the Lord are on, on me. And then I'll leave you with this, and I love this. This is my favorite part of this passage. Not only are the eyes of the Lord on the righteous, but the other perspective we need is that our eyes, of course, are fixed on the Lord. Look at verse 14. Love this. So relevant to our world. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. And then he quotes um, from Isaiah 8. Do not fear their threats, or do not fear what they fear, maybe yours says. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, right? Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Now, I want to I give you this whole Isaiah quote. It's fascinating. So here's the context. Divided kingdom of Israel. This is, okay, like almost 1,000 years before Jesus or 800 years before Jesus. And the, the nation of Israel has been divided. There's a northern kingdom. There's a southern kingdom. They're at war with each other. There's wars. There's upheaval. The uh, northern kingdom has formed an alliance with a kingdom in the north. And the southern kingdom of Judah is thinking about forming an alliance with Egypt. Okay, if you know your Bible, you know never form an alliance with Egypt. Okay, <laughs> we left Egypt. Don't go back to Egypt. But they're, they're freaking out. Maybe we need to form an alliance. That's what's going on. There's conspiracies everywhere. Everyone's trying to figure out what to do. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people, right? Everyone's kind of figuring out thing. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread, okay? Everybody freaking out, right? We're going to form an alliance with Egypt. We're going to form an alliance with the north. What's going to happen? Wars, rumors of wars, all these things. God speaks in Isaiah. 
Don't fear what everybody else is fearing. Don't, don't freak out. Don't just be looking horizontally at everything that's going on. There's only one person you need to fear. You fear the Lord. You fear me. Okay? Don't fear human beings. Keep your eyes focused on me. Peter now applies that to Jesus Christ, right? Verse 14, don't fear what they fear. That's Isaiah. Don't be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And what a great message for us today. As the world is just all over the place. And that, I'm not saying we shouldn't dive into that, all of that stuff, and seek to bring shalom, seek to bring truth into that. But in terms of where our eyes are focused, what's giving us confidence about the future, um, we don't need to get caught up in conspiracies. We don't need to try to form all these strange alliances, right? We, we don't need to play the world's games by the world's rules, right? Which is hate for hate, power for power, insult for insult. Why? Because we revere Christ as Lord. The suffering Messiah is in charge. He's on his throne. And so what we get to do is we get to fix our eyes on him. We fear him, as it says. We revere him. And we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We live with that trust. And then we step into the world from that place of worship and reverence and awe and fear, appropriate fear of him that kind of makes all these other fears a little bit less important, if I can say it that way. Okay, I know I'm like scratching the surface of this, of this passage, um, but let me, let me leave you with this. As I was just kind of stepping back from that, this passage and thinking about it, here's what I realized. Um, when life is hard, um, we can choose one of two ways to live. We can either live with kind of a, um, a scarcity mentality or an abundance mentality right? And um, what I mean by that is either God's not going to show up, I'm at my wit's end, and this isn't working, and I need to pursue a worldly measure, right? There's, there's not enough. We're not going to be protected. I'm not going to, you know, there's that scarcity, or there's an abundance. Jesus is on his throne. Uh, I've experienced the good news. I have the grace of God on me. I have the blessing of God. God's face is towards me through thick and thin. Whatever I go through, God is at work in all things in my life, working towards my ultimate good. The good, the bad, and the ugly will all work out for my ultimate good. His spirit is in me, right? He's, he's with me everywhere I go. His forgiveness, his grace, his joy is available to me. It is in an abundance mentality. And what I'm realizing is I think we need to be people who live with that spiritual, not material abundance, but spiritual abundant mentality. God's on his throne. We're going to be okay. <laughs> I revere Christ. I don't have to freak out the way everyone else is freaking out because we're different, because we're part of God's kingdom. We get to step into the world then, the world of insults, the world of hate. We get to step into that and seek to bring the abundant shalom of God into those places. We're going to take the hit for it, no doubt. That's what our role is. And I'll just say something. I'm so convinced more than ever, we have such a better story to tell right now. Like as I look at our country and the world and kind of more than ever, I feel like we have the best story out there. I mean, think about the story that, for instance, um, evolution tells about the meaning of the universe. Okay, we have such a better story to tell. You think about the story that the, the sexual revolution, we're 60 years into this story. It's not telling a great story, it turns out. 
we have a better story to tell about those things. Or the tribalism that we see just erupting in our culture. I think we have a better story than that. The consumerism, turns out, doesn't make you happy in the end. We have a better story to tell. Uh, and even just this whole, like, individualistic, you know, you be you, you do your thing, like, that's not working very well for young people. And we have a better story. So I, all that to say, I, we get to step into the world with confidence that um, we don't have anything to hide. It's a much better story. And we step in with the fullness, and we get to bring the shalom of the Lord and the blessing of the Lord into very broken places. So I want to leave you with a, a verse from Psalm 34. I told you this is one of my favorite verses. This has been the most impactful verse on my life for the last six weeks or so. So it's a short-lived impact. But this is, the, this is the verse that has been spinning in my head for the last six weeks. Psalm 34, again, to this abundance, to our eyes on the Lord. Those who look on him, we're going to sing this in a second. Those who look on him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Even if you might experience insult, you might experience shame culturally or whatever, their faces are never covered with shame. And what this reminds me of is the story of Moses in Exodus. You remember when they come to Sinai, Moses would go up onto the mountain to meet with the Lord. And he would be in the presence of the glory of the Lord, right? He would look on the Lord. And, and that radiance got soaked into him. And he came down the mountain. Remember, his face was literally radiant and it was glowing. And it faded over time. But he, he experienced the radiance of the Lord and he brought that down the mountain with him. In 2 Corinthians, Paul uses that. He says, hey, Moses would have to veil his face, but now we with unveiled faces, we behold the glory of the Lord Jesus all the time, and we're being transformed into that glory from glory to glory. As we behold the goodness of Jesus, we're beginning to become like the thing we behold. And so I, this has been my inspiration over the last six weeks, which is I'm going to stop trying to improve myself. <laughs> I'm going to stop trying to fix myself. I simply want to behold the glory of the Lord. I want to get in his word every morning. I want to be in prayer with him. I want to be like a guy who goes up on the mountain every day in some small way and just gazes at the beauty of the Lord and the beauty of the gospel, the goodness, the forgiveness, the grace. And I want to be a person who, as I walk into the moments of my life, someone says, really what the, the, some of the leaders said of the early disciples, they noted that they had been with Jesus, Right? We look on the Lord, we keep our eyes focused on him, his goodness, and then we step down the mountain every day from that fullness, and we walk into a broken world, ourselves very broken too, hopefully radiating just a little bit of the glory that we've received from him. So I believe that's the invitation. That's the only kind of person who would ever return insult with blessing, right? Because you have to become the kind of person who would actually do these things. And the only way I know to do that is to look on him day after day and experience his radiance so that might begin to, through his spirit, transform us. Let's pray. Father, we, um, it's so good that we get to just be here today, and, and this is, Sunday mornings are one small way that we get to do that together, just to behold your glory through songs, through your word, through prayers, through one another. We get to fix our eyes on you. And I pray that, um, that you would invite us, even this week, into that Moses life of, of going up on the mountain to meet with you, to behold your glory, 
that we might then bring that into our places of work and our marriages and our families and our, our neighborhoods and communities. And we're not, we're, 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 we ourselves are so broken. We're not going to do this perfectly. But fill us up. Fill us up. Send us out. Fill us up. Send us out. That we might be ambassadors of your kingdom, priests in this broken world, offering blessing, not our own blessing, but the blessing of the gospel, Lord. So empower us this week for that work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.